queering sex ads and queering sex advice right. is actually better for young straight guys. Yeah. Right, absolutely. And I think that's where, uh, for me, it's a strength in our collaboration. It's like, right. you know, my history has been studying queer communities, bi communities, kink communities, poly communities, trans right. community. Right. It's bringing that together with Justin's experience of working with predominantly young straight men. And I think I've done a lot more work around like feminism and women. There's been so many ways in which the, the, the things that we've done in our lives and also the areas of expertise that we have mesh really nicely so like the hive mind between right. us is like greater than either individual mind that has learned these separate things hello i'm dave i'm the guy that's putting all this stuff together i need to get better please make me better i want to get better 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 acquainted with you Today we're getting better acquainted with Meg, John, and Justin. Uh, hello. Hey. hey. <laughs> Great. That's what we always say on our podcast. I'm very excited to be having this conversation with you both. That will probably come across uh, as as will the nervousness that comes with being excited in public to, yes. uh, to, when when talking to some other people. But the first question that I ask everybody is, how do you know me? I kind of heard of you because <laughs> you invited us to take part in Smut Slam. I think that's and right. My friend, uh, you were kind of you tweeted me, and my friend who is a big fan of yours said, "Oh my god, Dave Pickering has just <laughs> no. uh, tweeted you." Uh-huh. And I was like, "Yeah," and <laughs> she's like, "Are you going to do the thing? Are you going to do the thing?" It's like, "Yeah," <laughs> not quite realizing the. Um, <laughs> What <laughs> the, what the, the implications was. of this Twitter conversation? So yeah, then I actually met you in person at Smut Slam, which was not long ago. Yeah, I had such a great evening. Yeah, it was so much fun. And then you did one, didn't you? Andrew? I did one like a month after or yeah. something, and I really enjoyed it as well. It was yeah. So it, does everyone know what Smut Slam is? Hopefully, regular listeners kind of know what it is, but we should definitely tell people. So it's it's a, it's a true storytelling. Night. Mm. Every story is about sex, and yeah. it's an open mic, and people can win sex toys. We have a, a panel of judges who are the kind of people it's appropriate to to, to pass judgment on true stories about sex. So yeah, so sex I was, we were both we were both judges. Yeah, so we had to. It was nice. It was like had really to enjoyed that power. <laughs> the power of uh, that was great. But judges were also encouraged to to participate, which was yeah. terrifying for me. And then I got an idea, and then I really wanted to do it, but then I was far too scared to do it because like. I can do talks, you know, but mm. to actually tell a real story or tell a story in a way that would be interesting to an audience without, like, notes, that would be really scary for me. Yeah. So I didn't. But what was the theme? It was, like, first times or something when I did I it. think so, yeah. yeah. I mean, so you both had very different experiences of Smart Slam as well because yeah. the one that Justin was there for, Cameron was stuck in Berlin. So Cameron Moore, who generally hosted it until, at the moment, she's got visa issues again and somebody else has taken over but Mm. uh, Justin was there for the night when I had to play the role of Cameron which is Mm. I mean I'm I, I, you know, we'll, we'll, we maybe we'll get into a little bit about this term, but I'm, I, I appreciate sex positivity, but I don't really feel it. Ah, um, okay. Like I'm sex aware, I'm sex uh, like approving of, I, but I, I don't feel positive 
in myself around sex yeah. uh, and so I'm a very awkward person to do that show in some ways because you know, one of the things that makes that show work is Cameron like loves the kind of confessions reading yeah. out the confessions of other yeah. people and I found that so complicated well that's really interesting because <laughs> we've just done a, a podcast about sex positivity and we came down and right. we kind of we're not we're not sex positive either we're sex critical right yeah which and, I guess is like being sex aware but also the idea that the, the, the super sex positivity can be quite alienating to people who actually mm. find sex quite difficult in some ways yeah. or maybe are asexual or somewhere on that spectrum yeah. or right. there's all kind of reasons why maybe sex super sex positivity isn't necessarily inclusive enough of everybody absolutely think, yeah. well positivity generally yeah. isn't inclusive right I'm yeah, you know yeah. I'm someone who you know experiences like depression and like right, you know right. I don't always feel positive and I don't yeah. want to be told to smile yes. and, you know, yeah. like, but it doesn't mean that I don't like it doesn't mean that I don't value happiness yeah. it just is, is, is not always something accessible to me yeah. at, all, to, at all points also their emotions are valuable as well like it's to have that kind of focus on happiness is really problematic because certain people have a much more you know possibility to be happy in the ways that we're told that we should be happy than other right. people yeah. well, that's another one of the problems with sex positivity isn't it that we probably didn't talk about in our podcast but it's the idea that we should all be enjoying it but also it's all it's fun it's a giggle it's yeah. a laugh and it's kind of saucy and bawdy and we should all be doing yeah, this yeah but it can be all you know it can be angry it can be right. sad yeah. it can be poignant yeah it can you know we were just talking before uh, like about how it can really bring up stuff from the past in quite a you know traumatic but useful way yeah like, there's so right. much that sex can do that isn't about happiness or joy right yeah. exactly yeah boring. yeah, yeah but it can be boring and yeah exactly and, and well i i guess I, I was going to leave this for a little bit later in the conversation, but since it's kind of an appropriate moment to say it, mm. like there's another there's another term as well that I find I have complicated feelings around within the kind of uh, realm of sex uh, and relationship kind of theory, if you mm. like, um, which is kind of enthusiastic consent. Oh, oh yes, <laughs> yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> because it, it, I mean, for a, for a start, you know, obviously, like, well, not obviously necessarily, but lots of sex workers have made very uh, intelligent critiques of that term because yeah. you know why the hell should we be expected to be enthusiastic about our work Quite um, right. and I get that you know yeah. I've never been enthusiastic about hardly any of my jobs and I think yeah. if, if sex was part of it I would feel probably even less enthusiastic at times yes. yeah. uh, and so that it kind of in, it invisibilizes sex workers but yeah. also like you say sometimes it's boring sometimes it's like you know you like well I want to work on this part of myself so yeah. I'm going to do something that isn't comfortable yeah. but mm. is something that I am consenting to exactly you know? or mm. another example I always think is like you know if I'm involved in some kind of sexual act that involves uh, another cis man yeah. then or, or, or anybody with a, a penis I guess mm. um, like I'm not really like I'm not that doesn't make me sexually excited, but I'm perfectly happy yeah. to provide sexual excitement for yeah. somebody else yeah. like, as part of a, a, a kind of everyone's providing happiness for each other. Like, like I don't have to be ex- enthusiastic about it. I yeah. can just be like, okay, that's and like, a thing to do. A lot of, <laughs> and a lot of asexual people as well. Like there are some asexual people who don't have any sex, but there are quite a few who have sex with partners who are, who want to have sex right. again, like for that partner. And it might be in reciprocation for something else, mm. or because they're just really happy to give pleasure, but they're not getting it. They're not getting sexual excitement right. or that kind of thing from it. Um, it's another. It's another should, and it's yeah. another binary, isn't it? And around mm. consent, those things are really unhelpful because it's still part of this kind of yes means yes, no means no. Well, and also like so many people are socialised in ways to be 
enthusiastic I mean particularly a big part of most women's socialization is like they should be you know really enthusiastic about everything Mm. you know like oh what a wonderful present oh thank you so much for this you know it's like so if you've been socialized to be enthusiastic about everything that you're not really feeling enthusiastic about right then you will be enthusiastic in your consent at times when you really don't you know so it's not it doesn't it doesn't prove that that person really wants it if they seem enthusiastic they still might not want it but they've just been so socialized to be enthusiastic about everything that's presented to them right you know yeah i mean i I, yeah i mean i'm i've not even been socialized as a woman in Mm. society and i feel like certain like pressures to always be polite to always make people happy yeah um, and so exactly right yeah. right right and and yeah it's it, it, so I'm, I'm very pleased to hear that you both have yeah. that. I kind of knew that you you thought that actually mm. like full disclosure I yeah. haven't listened I haven't listened to the sex positivity one partly because I was like oh I want to bring that up and yeah. I don't want to kind of yeah because uh, I've literally like on the way here I've been catching up on your show so I feel like I've almost like I've walked into your show <laughs> uh, and, and yeah. here I am yeah. um, and here we are talking about the kind of things we talk about yeah. getting riled up but right. yeah, I think the thing with enthusiastic consent is to think, well, if it's not, so if we're not doing just no means no, you know, consent, which is like the real baseline, as long as someone doesn't say no, we just go ahead. As if we're not doing that, and then if we're not doing enthusiastic consent, which is kind of the next level, which is you do it if everybody seems really enthusiastic about it, like what then? And yeah. I guess that's mm. what we've been really teasing out is like how, what, what does consent look like if it goes a further step beyond the enthusiastic consent I mean, the problem with enthusiastic consent as well is that it just anything any conversation around consent that ignores power dynamics or doesn't yeah. address right, power right, dynamics right, right, just right. isn't getting it yeah. right so it's that it's easier for some people to enthusiastically consent to something than others yeah. is the fundamental issue here isn't yeah. it and it would be nice if everyone was I guess was enthusiastic about sex you know people might think on a very basic level that's kind of what we want but actually it's not achievable and it's not even necessarily desirable actually yeah. And I'm just thinking about it from like a young person's perspective. I spent most of my life working with um, young people around sex and relationships. And that kind of message to young people just figuring out sex for the first time and trying yeah. to tune into whether this is a thing that they're interested in, but also trying to figure out how they can ask for what they want or to kind of negotiate the sex that they may enjoy with somebody else for the first time but for then another script to come in and say but you have to be enthusiastic yeah. and you have to wait for them to be enthusiastic like it's not helping anyone no and also, it's not a helpful you, thing to say how can you be enthusiastic about something also that you've never tried right. it's like yeah. there's right. a lot of times when you're like somebody's like well do you want to do this and you're kind of like well it sounds really hot but actually because I've never done it I don't know and also plenty of times for me as well where it's been like okay that thing definitely like you know done it 20 times before it's always been really great for me Mm. then the thing has happened it's like oh actually that's shifted for me or yeah. I was enjoying that thing but now I realise it has other resonances for me and I'm not wanting to do it right. nice. so it's, it's much more complex than you could just say here's the big you know it's like the yes no maybe list is a really useful thing to kind mm. of get a sense of the kind of things you might be into but it doesn't go far enough in the sense that it, you know this things shift over time exactly Yeah. And people might not start off from a place of enthusiasm yeah. around sex but they might end up at a place of enthusiasm and the other person well another person may start at a place of enthusiasm yes. and then end at a less enthusiastic place exactly. so right. there's a spectrum of enthusiasms yeah and, and you could be enthusiastic about feet about having very different emotions yeah. you know about having real you know really the kind of emotions that are seen as negative emotions you might want to be scared you might want to be angry you might want to be right. sad you know right, right, so right. what does that mean for enthusiastic consent if somebody yeah. wants to burst into tears or wants to be able to feel angry yeah, yeah. 
I mean, oh, we could talk about this for ages. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, and, and I mean, I, I and I, I mean, I, I recommend your your podcast generally and your your work generally, but also like there's a particular episode of your podcast uh, that it talks about no and like mm. and uh, that I loved that that was probably my favourite of your episodes so far, which you know is saying something because I like a lot of them. So yeah. uh, <laughs> um, I'm gonna. Wait a little bit longer to do the second question because I think before I ask the second question, it might be a good question to ask: How do you know each other? Yeah, that is a good question. Uh, so I was thinking about this yesterday because I knew this question was coming. So uh-huh. uh, I remember that I was struggling. I was trying to write something at Bish, my website for younger folk, about self-esteem, and I was really like struggling with trying to mm. articulate it. And I asked Petra Boynton about it, mm-hmm. uh, really name-dropping all yeah. the all the sexology stars <laughs> Petra's here. Petra's agony on for the Telegraph. Yeah, yeah. great, really good, um, really good. Definitely good. And she said, oh, you should check out Meg John Parker's work. Although I think you were Meg Parker at the time, but MJ's work. Um, And I went to your website and it kind of was like, oh, right, okay. (laughs) (laughs) This is much more complicated than I thought. And then eventually also I was thinking about becoming a therapist at one point. And again, Petra sent me off to see you and we met for coffee. We had a coffee, didn't we? And you put me off it and I'm very glad you did. I am a therapist, so I'm not quite sure what I was doing putting you off it. But I think I I I was putting putting you off like six years of training or whatever and saying, actually, you're already an amazing sex educator. You could be working with people one-on-one already. You don't really need to do a massive therapy training in order to yeah. do useful one-on-one kind of work yeah that's what i was saying yeah yeah not like therapy sucks although therapy kind of sucks but that's a whole another <laughs> a whole another thing i mean i'm into therapy yeah as a thing it's yeah. just me becoming a therapist yeah. and re you know retraining to do something else which is also yeah precarious work and right yeah <laughs> no absolutely um yeah, we met ther- carluccio's some pancreas what we did yeah oh uh, yeah like, pretty sure I- you had a hot chocolate and i had a cappuccino all right that's I would have impressive been impressive memory. That is a really good memory. I do remember it now you say it. You had a hat? I had my cap on. Yeah, I yeah. used to wear that cap a lot. I yeah. don't now because I have my hair cut at Open Barbers, another plug. But I feel too <laughs> sad to put a cap on it because it's such a good haircut. It's now. a really killer haircut. Right? Yeah. I go to Barber Streisand. <laughs> ah, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, yeah, I mean, and so. Right, so the, the, the second question I ask everyone is what do you do now? And feel free to answer this separately or together or a bit of both. Well, we should say a bit more about like where that... I mean, we didn't just like meet at Carluccio's and then suddenly start yeah, working right. together. No, um, yeah, I mean, the yeah, so the history of that, I guess, is... Well, it's ages ago. Yeah, I think it's... You know, we did quite a slow... I mean, I was really getting into it at that time, that idea that relationships is a good idea to kind of have them develop slowly rather than necessarily, boom, suddenly you're doing all of the things. And that was a good model for that, really, for me, because we sort of then, maybe six months later, we might have had another coffee or been at the same event. Yeah. You know, I can't remember when the the sort of clincher time was where we were like, oh, actually, let's do some more work together. There was that consent cultures thing that we were involved in and another the Unsanity Network that's right I feel like it kind of got a momentum that we were finding ourselves more and more at the same things because I moved back to London which you know probably at that point we definitely started spending more time together going to the pub together maybe yeah Um, so that's the thing we became mates as well as colleagues yeah and which is a kind of a nice kind of 
parallel like overlapping relationship as well that we work together but we also mates yeah. which is really important and then I was doing this project which is just about to be published it's been going on for years um, that was on sex advice uh, with my colleagues Ros Gill and Laura Harvey mm-hmm. and we were analysing a bunch of sex advice and my part of the project was to analyse sex advice books so I read 65 awful wow. sex advice books wow. and yeah, that was the leading not, sex advice books right yeah and they um, were terrible and so what I wanted to also do as part of this project was like I'm always like put your money where your mouth is if you're going to criticise somebody show, you know, or something then right. show how it can be done better and so I was like well I need to write my own sex advice book that kind of does something really different from these kind of multiple position you know basically just right. like learn 50 positions and then you'll have a great sex life kind of books yeah. and that's I think I approached you then and said like yeah. how about it um, and I'd already had this contact with Icon Publishing yeah. so they were up for, for publishing it so yeah. we just kind of went ahead yeah started um, writing and we met in cafes for like one morning or one afternoon a week for about a year got a book written and then we were like we don't want to stop doing this because it's awesome so we just started doing like website podcast and zines. We st- we zines, still, yeah, yeah lots of zines yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah and we still just meet once a week and, and do this like you're you're basically it today yes yeah. this, this is our, well, our usual meetup <laughs> I mean, that, it's very kind of you to, to to give me some of that space uh mm. that you normally take with each other like and so if i asked you what mm. do you do now what would you say, like Meg, Meg, Meg John? What the t- what the t- yeah, if I asked series. you in a party, like if you, if you individually, oh, me as an individual, what do you do? Okay, well, what I would say is I'm a writer um, because that's <laughs> the bit that's the bit of what I do that I love the most. Uh, but it's not the bit that pays the bills yet. It pays a little tiny bit of the bills. Right. Um, so I'm also a therapist, which I also love. Um, I'm also an activist, which pays nothing, but it's right. really awesome and important. And then I'm also an academic. So the the thing that pays the bills is I work for that open university, which I do love, but it's not like, you know, my passion is for the writing. But luckily, an academic job does expect you to also be a writer. So I'm also like making modules for the students at the open university to take, often drawing in some of our stuff. In fact, we've mm. we made a video together on consent, which got used on one of the modules for the open university and we got to use it. So right. it kind of meshes quite nicely. Yeah. So for me, I'm four things. I'm a writer, therapist, activist and academic. Right. Yeah. And, and what about you, Justin? I'm a sex educator, is what I say. And sometimes that means that people walk away. Yeah. <laughs> or shun me. <laughs> 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 or people go, oh, right, in schools. I'm like, well, you know, <laughs> have you heard about sex education in schools lately? Yeah. Um, I mean, one of the big projects that I work on is about trying to improve sex education in schools so it's called do sra for schools uh, a project sponsored by jurex which is a huge kind of project that i have been heavily involved in and again mj has uh, been involved in that bit as well we kind of mm. i guess the work that we do together is uh, for me it's like it helps to improve the rest of my work as well if that makes sense yeah, i kind of i bring too. in some of that stuff with the rest of my week so it's kind of i don't separate out the work i do with meg john from everything else it's just part of being a sex educator for right. me mm-hmm. so sometimes it's around my this project I'm doing for schools sometimes it's from my website Bish which is my main job I guess which is a sex and relationships advice website for younger folk although yeah. if you know people who are younger but then that is the place to send them yeah. like, I, I'm so impressed with the kind of the way that that is written like how uh, non-judgmentally it treats these issues like yeah. which is because re- uh, when you're a teenager and when you're and even when you're a younger than a teenager 
I, I think in this society, in this culture, all you all you often hear is judgment. Yeah. Like yeah. one way or another, it doesn't matter like what mm. kind of judgment it is. So I mean, I, I've been really, I, I and you know, reading Bish like. Sometimes I often have this feeling of like, why wasn't this there when I was yeah. younger? Yeah. Like why? Like it's super clear, you know. super engaging, really nice graphics, and right. it's just the wording is really you know easy to understand, and it's just and it's fun and playful. But like you say, just not non-judgmental, you know, diverse. Yeah, it's just fantastic. Yeah, I mean, I, I you know. To a certain extent, I've always, I've, before I read the actual website, I was kind of suspicious for a few years because, like, I would see your name come up and I'd be like, okay, so this is like a cis white guy, like, talking about all of the, like, and, and, and mm. that would normally be the kind of uh, sex educator I would avoid. Uh, and it turns out, uh, after loads of people who aren't cis white guys recommended you, uh, you're really good. But, like, you know, yeah. I mean, I do still <laughs> get that. That, yeah. that, is, that is definitely a thing. Um, but, <laughs> Uh, I, I, that is, yeah, that is who I am. Yeah, <laughs> but it's so necessary. Like, I mean, a lot of the young people you teach as well are young, young men, aren't they? Right. It's like God, we need to get young, young men and boys like thinking better about sex and relationships. And it's mostly young men who come to the website yeah. as well, which is good. But um, I've spent most of my working. So I've been doing it since nineteen ninety nine. I've spent most of that time doing work with young men. Mm. Um, so it is. But I think, uh, like, if we get it right for, like, really getting it right for young men is also about getting it right for everybody. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and I think that's, um, it means that it's, but also getting it right for everyone who isn't a young man is also about getting it right for young men. It's the, it's the thing that we kind of work on a lot. It's like yeah. truly inclusive sex and relationships education or sex advice or relationships advice is actually more useful for everybody. So by making so, for example, in my work with young men, and when I work with young men like face to face, when they're t- saying to me, you know, are really struggling with keeping a hard on or getting this condom on or mm. ejaculating too quickly, I'm like, well, you're this is one very narrow version of sex that you're focused on trying right. to do. Yeah. If sex means all these other things that can be just as or even more enjoyable, mm-hmm. and I say to them, you know, many men come in this room and tell me they enjoy these other kinds of sex just yeah. as much, if not more, than others then it opens up this whole world to them. So kind of queering sex ads and queering sex advice right. is actually better for young straight guys. Yeah. Right, absolutely. And I think that's where, uh, for me, it's a strength in our collaboration. It's like, right. you know, uh, my my history has been studying queer communities, bi communities, king communities, poly communities, trans right. community. Right. So like, you know, it's, it's bringing that together with Justin's experience of, you know, working with you know predominantly young straight men you know it's it's and and i think i've done a lot more work around like feminism and women so it's sort of like you know there's so many ways in which the 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 things that we've done in our lives and also the areas of expertise that we have mesh really nicely so like the hive mind between us is like greater than either individual mind that has learned these separate things if that makes sense we kind of talked about that in the first in our the first page of our book yeah uh, enjoy sex how and if you want to <laughs> uh, that uh, we talk about that we came we came to the same place from different yeah, areas which exactly. is really interesting to us yeah because also i've got a youth work background yeah which is really person-centered it's all about you're not the expert you just have to pin your ears back and listen to the young person yeah. and to try and find solutions that work for them yeah which is kind of my approach and that's also your approach yeah absolutely well. and therapy i do so yeah yeah exactly it's re- yeah, and it's really interesting to me uh, that those co- those co- that collection of answers there because you know I, I I one of the things I do is I do I kind of 
I don't, I don't know if you could say work around masculinity. I've, I've made a show about masculinity. Mm. I've mm. kind of interrogated being a man and, 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 and kind of growing up in pa- a patriarchal society. Yeah. I've done a, I did a, a survey of a thousand anonymous men's thoughts on patriarchy and masculinity mm. and stuff. Um, and so it's, de- but one of the things that I sort of say in that show, and one of the things I've observed kind of in this area is how liberating, like you say, queer or feminist mm-hmm. uh, arguments are for you know for for cis straight men like that actually when we get rid of the idea for example of virginity being a thing at all Mm -hmm. or if we get rid of the idea of like uh, penis and vagina sex is the only kind of sex it's so liberating exactly. uh, and, and 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 also it trans it's like all of these things it, it it changes your entire history you're like oh so the narrative i've created where the first time i had sex was then mm-hmm. actually it wasn't mm-hmm. like that you know, yeah, you know yeah, that, yeah. and that's really interesting to sort of i think it's, think of. it's vital for relationships as well because we, we we talk about sex and relationships and right. like um in terms of relationships um like simone de beauvoir said that it was like a real tragedy for men the kind of if it, the kind of patriarchal way of doing gender because if women are kind of seen as men's property or something to seduce and like the idea mm. is to kind of control women and get them to do what you want and the right. kind of the more recent version of this would be like the seduction communities mm. or pickup artists right. trying to get women you know it's like actually it results in quite a tragedy for the guy because he never gets some equal mutual person right. and you really get a feel for that in like Neil Strauss's work about pickup artists actually that it's like he says at one point like in dehumanising the opposite sex I had dehumanised myself because mm. right. he has no close relationships yet left because he's like competitive with all the guys and he's trying to get something from all the women Right. and like I was reading a bunch of Bell Hooks recently which was saying a really similar thing it's like for, for love to happen you need equality right. you know it can't work in a situation of injustice basically because that just becomes about power and not about love so I think that yeah like you're saying that the sort of the feminist stuff from people like De Beauvoir and Hooks is yeah is I mean really Bell Hooks is like the everyone. main is, like she's like my my yeah like, yeah right my yeah. person yeah like I yeah like I start my show basically with a quote from her and like yeah ah, um oh, so, I love her. but so I mean good. that's 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 what's so beautiful about the work that she does as well though is mm. it doesn't individualize everything to the point of like so an individual man is the problem. It's yeah. like, it's much more about, and one of the things I really respond to in, in Bell Hooks's work is how it, it, like, she sees, like, women as part of the patriarch, like, yeah, yeah, patriarchal, yeah. like, forces, and that's, that really chimes with my own personal experiences, yeah. because they've been, like, complicated experiences, often from, like, from cis women. Absolutely, so. like, I, I go to, a, I go to a conference every year called Psychology of Women, and they were looking at kind of lad culture, um, at the last one I was at, and, you know, they were finding the double binds that women were placed in, you know, that they were expected to kind of shrug off this kind of re- really awful kind of sexual harassment they were getting from these guys, because they should be up for it, and, and mm. all of this, and they had to kind of shrug it off, and yet, if it went too far, there was this expectation it should have said something. So they were in a double bind, but the, right. the, the finding was that the lads themselves were in a double bind, because because the women women would say they wanted to date a lad because that's who's going to turn into this kind of you know protector kind of hegemonic masculinity yeah. kind of guy and so they would not date people who they would not date guys who rejected lad culture right. and, and then that goes like that. in circles exactly. doesn't it like like you know one of the things i've noticed looking back at my previous history to my you know chagrin is to discover you know i did think of myself as like you know i'm a nice guy yeah. right? like because i was you know systematically bullied for not being masculine enough right, right. and but like still 
still I went round in the circle of like but then there is a truth within that too yeah it's like you say that what 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 women were telling me they wanted in men was not was also not what I had exactly and, um, and so yeah and patriarchy has told you like woman is the prize right and then you're not able to, <laughs> to get, get that the prize by, by do, because you're doing the thing you thought you know that everyone's telling you should be doing to reject patriarchy and be a different kind of guy but then that's not good you know you can see how people get really stuck in that double again it's double binds all yeah. the way um, the thing is, I think that uh, men and young men have a really um, sophisticated view on this. Like they can see what's going on. Mm. Uh, there's a really great book about this, um, which is I don't even, I don't know whether it's still in print or not. It's called Young Masculinities, uh, and it's uh, kind of an academic book, but reasonably mm. priced for an academic book. <laughs> yeah. By That's rare. St- yeah, by Stephen Frosch uh, oh, et yeah. al. I know. There's yeah. like a whole load of authors, yeah. but it was based on interviews done in around 2001 with um, young men in London schools mm. and also young women in London schools. It was basically unpacking um, the idea of hegemonic masculinities from um, Connell, Connell's work on hegemonic masculinities. Connell, yeah. But it's... Um, but it was kind of asking young men around around those hegemonies and like unpacking the different hegemonies and asking them about it. And so there were different chapters based on each hegemony. So there's mm. a chapter about football, mm. right, and that how important football is yeah. uh, in constructing your masculinity. But there was also one about pets. Mm. Like pets kept coming up as being a way that young men kind of navigated uh, kind of... Um, their feelings and navigated intimacy and a lot of the times they were reporting their most intimate relationships were with pets wow interesting so there's a whole chapter devoted to pets so it's kind of like yeah. it's really so people kind of talk about masculinity in ways that actually really irritates the fuck out of me because they talk about it in these really quite basic ways and uh, I bridle every time I see the term toxic masculinity because mm. I think it's a kind of an unhelpful shorthand that really doesn't unpack what yeah. the issues are with masculinity yeah. um, so it's, young men have this really complicated relationship with it mm-hmm. there's also this idea that young men don't talk about their feelings or talk, don't talk about being a man which I can tell you from first hand experience is absolute bollocks yeah. um, and they don't, young men don't need that much encouragement to be able young mm. men slash men don't need that much encouragement to be able to do it yeah. but the thing is, is that what men don't do is to talk about talking Yeah. so mm. it's the kind of thing where uh, it's the, the first rule of you know d- man club I guess is uh, that we that we do make space to talk about our feelings with each other mm. at the pub or when we go fishing yeah. uh, or which is an example from a youth work journal I read once or mm. um, when we're in a private clinic space with this with me which is what yeah. where, where young men have done some oh, of like that on work. the train I've overheard young men having you know really detailed discussions about their relationships but then stuff, John, on the train. again though like yeah. I mean that, that's interesting to hear I hadn't like thought about because I used I, I would use the term toxic masculinity but in order to separate it from mm. other masculinities yeah but I totally I can see I can see a, a, the point that you're making there but like also within that though there's a again like that's a universal kind of idea as well like the, mm. the all men all men talk is also wrong like i think yeah. mm. that, 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 that it's it's complicated and, and it's and it's relational so like sometimes the issue is that men don't talk in their household or they don't talk to their partner or they mm. do talk mm. to their partner too much and only to their partner yeah. and never to anybody else and so there's there's all of these super like having had quite an unusual journey through being a man uh, it's made me really like aware that that's quite common. Like, mm. that, that there isn't a usual. Yeah. Um, yeah. But at the same time, there you know, 
this is, I guess, a problem that you guys will come up against. Uh, or f- I, sh- I should say I'm using guys in the kind of unisex version that I learned to use it in, but then yeah. like and now I, I, I do yeah. often wonder if I should use I'm d- guys I'm generally. down with that, but it's really, it's difficult. It's like, you yeah. know, what does it open up? What does it close down? Right. I, I like it because, you know, as a non-binary person, it's nice to have these gender-neutral terms for everyone, but then you can say, well, that's it's rooted in the idea that man is the norm. It's still, so yeah, it's right. like mankind, or you right. can use like guys. Yeah. So, so I am trying to kind of include yeah. folks into my vocabulary. Yeah. I go with folks as I, I totally am I'm down with it. It just sounds so wrong out of my mouth because it doesn't. It's, I'm not American. Also, and I hear yeah. it in an American way. Like that's the kind of petty and unnecessary thing that you can get rid of. Well, like it doesn't yeah. matter if I sound a bit ridiculous if I'm clearer and more accessible. Yeah, but it's also <laughs> complex because I'm a transmasculine, non-binary person. So right. in a sense, guys can feel somewhat affirming right. as well. Yes, of so course. yeah, so it's kind of. And I, I'm, I was just thinking about that in terms of masculinity as well because, of course, we're talking about kind of men having a relationship with. To masculinity but I think everyone has a relationship mm. to masculinity both other people's masculinity and their own it's about like do we reject um, masculine sides do we embrace them right. you know and obviously trans masculine people have a really interesting relationship because often they've come from a assigned mm. female at birth right. but they're moving towards some kind of masculinity right absolutely um, yeah so yeah I think it's it's opening that a conversation up yeah too. I mean that's why it's called that's why the research refers to masculinities yeah and it's the and we it's important not to confuse the message from the rules of masculinity with the effect and with what men do with those messages it's right. like a, it's an interactive it's yeah a, it's a critical process that that they have that yeah that they we uh, <sighs> use different aspects of our identity and background and values to to kind of to we use those things to critique masculinity and yeah. take on the bits that we yeah. want or need and try to reject things we can't have. And we have these various available kind of masculinities and femininities and even other genders kind of available to us out there in culture which yes. shifts all the time of like you know like like non-binary is a really good example it really wasn't available to people mm. over like five years ago it became something mm. um, at, that was much more available people started to see it and now it's kind of reached a point where a lot of people are aware of it because it's kind of hit mainstream right. culture yeah. and so the more and more a, a particular way of making sense of your gender is available the more you might take it on mm. whereas that older work on masculinities I remember that shift from hegemonic masculinity yeah. to the kind of Homer Simpson masculinity the yeah. kind of like average guy being a bit crap masculinity yeah. Yeah. I remember you know the psychologists who were studying it back then found that yeah guys shifted to realise they didn't have to pretend to be this big strong masculine they could be that a bit crap bloke you know yeah. and it's that started to come in definitely an easier yeah. more obtainable yeah. Yeah. Uh, idea to go for if you're going for a, an image of masculinity um, is Homer Simpson definitely yeah. is, is more obtainable not necessarily useful either. No, because the psychologists found like the guys were either going for macho kind of masculinity and or sometimes Homer Simpson type and or sometimes this kind of um, almost like oh a masculinity where I don't mind being a bit feminine you know a bit alternative I might polish my nails or something yeah <laughs> I paint my nails um, yeah but I remember that in that paper they were saying but all of them were kind of still still a kind of version of like 
that shows how that shows how strong I am yeah. in a sense mm. you know, that, sh- that shows what yeah. a man I am I've thought about that quite that a lot with, about yeah. uh, like masculinity within, in the arts because like growing yeah. up I probably would have kind of not seen myself as aspiring to a certain kind of masculinity but I was because yeah. I was like I'm a tortured artist right. like, and all of that stuff and I'm, and I'm like you know I feel emotions not like ordinary yeah. men it's so, like yeah no but only some men are allowed to do that only yeah. specific kinds of men and it's still also, kind of individualistic yeah, it's still exactly. like I'm this great individual it's like it doesn't get away from that to something more collective for right. example or something or something really softer you know it's yeah, like and still well, got a well, exactly like yeah. I would say like one of not not my personal hero but like one of the kind of you know you could say like that's a tortured artist model is like Charles Bukowski and like I would yeah. not I, that, you know, no. I didn't want to be like him <laughs> yeah. uh, like that's, that's that's horrific but like yeah. he, he would have thought he was like so like you know thumbing it to everybody else like I'm yeah. so unique uniqueness is something that men think yes. is, is theirs you know that's like, right so weird. even if they go against like hegemonic masculinities they're still doing it in this uniqueness way yeah, and, like, yeah I think this stuff on <laughs> the work on trolls we were talking about mm. that. there's this great book um, this is why we can't have nice things about troll culture and it's all about white men and right. again they're, they're really doing stuff against the norm they're just doing stuff for laughs they've given up on the idea of being successful you know it's just like we can't take anything serious Right. but it's still doing that kind of we're unique individuals mm. and, and aren't we dead clever and Absolutely. you know <laughs> sort of, yeah and it's okay if you have the agency to do that which right. men are given right you yeah. know so men can be any any of these different kinds of men uh mm. yeah, i've managed to become any of these different kinds of men despite all the pressures to be a particular kind of guy yeah but that space doesn't exist for a lot of other genders exactly well, not even for all men yeah. that's something that i think is you know, something that I've learned is that, like, you know, being a middle class white man who was, you know, really othered at school in a yeah. kind of way that made me, I think it's given me some insight into kinds of oppression, but it's also, in a way, at the time, certainly gave me too much ownership of oppression. Like, yeah. I thought, oh, I'm the most oppressed oppressed person in the world. When I went to university, that, of course, in, it, it became invisible. Like, that was, it wasn't there anymore. Yeah. Yeah. I was like walking around the world going, God, I'm so hard done by. As every door opened for me, exactly. as every opportunity was being given. Yeah. I think that's the, the, you know, if you read that book about the trolls, it's very much like that experience. Right. It's sort of like the revenge of the nerds type thing. It's right. like, you know, people yeah. who've had that awful experience at school, which we really shouldn't say, shouldn't wipe over because no, I think bullying it's, is, it's is just, <laughs> bullying is so not taken seriously as a form of abuse. No. And it's a serious form of abuse that is so normalised in our culture and does a hell of a amount of damage. Um, but yeah, you're right. It's that flip from having been you know super abused to suddenly every door's opening but you've still got that legacy of feeling you know so so much kind of anger about the way you've been treated in the past that you're not even noticing that actually there's other other folks around in terms of class and race and gender who are still being oppressed and they they were probably bullied at school as well and it hasn't stopped it's still going on (laughs) for the same reason like that's that's the thing like like yeah and for the same reasons it's, it's an interesting one like that's another way that I think you know men can really be liberated by uh, feminism and things like that because when I look at my school experience I was you know bullied because I wasn't fulfilling a certain kind of masculinity like, yeah. but and the, the, the words that would be used against me would be you know homophobic or they would be mm-hmm. uh, or they would or I would be called a girl you know yeah. like, like, and, and, and so that sort of should teach people yeah. uh, who are the people society is really marginalising but instead exactly. they go oh 
oh it's me I'm the one I'm yeah, the one yeah, who's yeah. being really marginalised because they're using those words against me right. and then they sell out I mean that was always a problem I had at school like mm. I don't want to say there's anything wrong with being a woman or being gay but mm. at the same time I want the bullying to stop so yeah. like you have a moment when you react in a way that you kind of don't ideologically approve of and then uh, anyway it's so complicated me. no and I, I <laughs> you know I'm thinking as well that I was the person in school who was looking over at the guys like you thinking that's me that's the kind of, that's who I right, am right, right, you know I'm right. this, kind of, this kind of guy but everyone's saying I can't be because of, you know looking at me they're thinking that's a girl right. you know so it's, right. it's so interesting how right, the, yeah. the layers of this you know yeah that's right Lay- <laughs> layers and, and, then, and I guess that's what I was kind of before I sort of side kind of sidestep myself by kind of getting uh uh, typically awkward about the word guys I uh, was kind of getting to the thing that I guess something that you both must have to deal with is like this generalizations are useful but generalizations are not useful yeah. or like labels are super important but their labels are also not like the not useful yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Mm. Yeah, <laughs> right. Right. intersectionality, isn't it? I mean, that's that's what's a really helpful way of looking at this. All of this that you know keeps us from generalising too far. I think that, yeah. that whole like let's constantly think about all the different axes of privilege and oppression and power that are in play. Yeah. So yeah, as a minute you're kind of saying men this, and you're kind of like actually yeah, but we're talking about non-disabled white you know, middle-class yeah. men on the whole when we're, right. when we're talking this way. We yeah. should say intersectionality, a concept developed by Kimberly Crenshaw. Yeah, Absolutely. black feminist. I mean, yeah. Bell Hooks draws on it as well. And yeah. Patricia Hill Collins has got an awesome book on intersectionality that looks like a really good overview, which I'm just about oh. to start reading. Oh, yeah. nice. Yeah. Uh, I mean, that's... I guess people have a, a relationship with their labels, yeah. right? And you talk about this brilliantly in your book, which is uh, there's going to be a second edition out soon, Rewriting the Rules. That's the one, thank you. By Meg John Barker. <laughs> uh, and it's about, uh, the idea is about crab buckets. Tell us about crab buckets, because oh, I could I could listen crab to crab buckets, buckets yeah, yeah. Um, all day. <laughs> it's another geeky reference, because it's the Terry Pratchett idea, um, which is that... Um, the idea is when you've got a bucket full of crabs, you know, if you've been fishing for crabs, I guess, that you don't have to worry about the crabs escaping because the crabs that are in the bucket, if, a, if one of the crabs tries to get out, they'll pull it back in. And it's this kind of metaphor right. for our culture. It's like, that's how normativity works, you know, like we have the heteronormative crab bucket. And if any, you know, if a guy starts you know being a bit feminine the other crabs pulling back into masculinity or if somebody starts being a bit like oh maybe I'll you know go outside of the heterosexual relationships again pulled back into the crab bucket by the you know the the knowledge of what it would be like if you were to kind of overstep the bounds Um, and in rewriting the rules my book I kind of take it a bit further to think well what if you do escape the crab bucket the normative crab bucket then you're kind of on the beach as a crab like in in jeopardy from seagulls you know (laughs) and those you know they are dangerous those fuckers I don't deny it I had one land on my head and take my ice cream out of my hand so it's it's no easy matter if you're a crab on the beach and there's seagulls around so of course you want to be safe so you go into another bucket and it's a similar situation there so you get outside of the monogamy crab bucket and you think you're all liberated you find yourself in the polyamory crab bucket and it has its own norms and it has its own rules similarly like the gay crab bucket the queer crab bucket they're all they all end up being having their own normativity right Right. that's, that's the crab bucket idea so that means so that means that um, sometimes the bucket can be really useful for a bit. Yeah, uh, you know, it gives you that if you know about other buckets existing, then that can 
that can be really helpful to get you out of a particular bucket but then yeah. you have to be aware of getting into another bucket and yeah. everything that brings so it's the awareness of being in a bucket yeah. and the temptation to be in a bucket because not being in a bucket is very very scary yeah so. but often quite useful and there aren't really any seagulls so the way that we deal with this no there are no seagulls so the way we deal with this is kind of um, so if we're giving specific advice to a person yes. then it's about listening to that person right mm-hmm. and so if, if a person says if a person comes to us and is very, so I guess in therapy or in advice if we're giving to, if we're seeing somebody one to one if somebody says to us that they're bisexual we believe them if mm-hmm. somebody says to us they're non-binary we believe them that's what they're saying to us yeah and so it's not it's for them if they are if they believe in that label it's a label that is useful to them mm-hmm. we're not going to start saying well maybe we could explore what this means or yeah. you know if a straight guy said you know said you know I'm a straight guy and I say well maybe you might be bisexual yeah. that's not very helpful to no, them because they're no. coming to me with a thing that they've already found useful but we can also talk about these labels more broadly in the sense of it's really important that we're that we're including all of these labels in all of our work. Yeah. That, that that every bit of what we wanted to do with enjoy sex, how and if you want to, a uh, practical and inclusive guide <laughs> is to make sure that is to make sure that every page yeah. was uh, was relevant to every person. Yeah. Yeah. And we really, really, really tried hard for that, even to make it work for folk who are asexual. Right. Exactly. That, like, that's a, such an important. Like it's even in the title, right? It's implied in the title. Yeah, if you want to. Yeah, exactly. And we want again wanted to go look at every page from the perspective of like an asexual person, a trans person, a disabled person, a sex worker. Like, does this work across those contexts? Because again, you know, as you've said earlier, Justin, it's like that makes it better for everyone. Yeah, yeah. It's not just about including all of those folks. It's actually about if you think about sex, right? You know, like the bodies chapter when we were like, okay, so if you're going to be inclusive of disabled folks and trans folks you kind of get into this point where you know you've got to learn the body in front of you you mm. don't know how it's going to work and yeah. actually that's not just about tra- trans folks and disabled folks that's about everybody yeah you know like and that's always a new body that's going to work in a different way definitely yeah. that started off being our hardest chapter yeah and we were really struggling with it it turned out i think it was our best chapter yeah um Although, do read all of it. So, <laughs> uh, yeah. 99. Um, and Smith has got it on sale. Because, the, because I was coming at I remember mm. I was coming at that when we were kind of starting uh, the bodies chapter. It was like, I know from experience of working with certainly younger folk that people know so little about how their bodies work. Yeah. Like, so, like literally about, you know, urethral openings, vaginal openings, and, you know, the, the location of the clitoris and how big the clitoris is internally and mm-hmm. and how similar the penis and the clitoris are and how they work in similar ways and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. But it was like, no, it's not that kind of sex advice book because as soon as you start talking about this and saying, okay, this is what this does and this is what that does, yeah. you're closing down every th- other parts of the body that may work for different people. Absolutely. And that's what we started. Yeah. That's what we started. So we didn't really focus on the genitals that much because it's like, and yeah. it's still like you've got to learn that specific set of genitals that you said that you're got in front of exactly. you which may not you know this person may enjoy this thing being touched or that thing being touched in this way or that way you know and if you think about this from like mm-hmm. a just even if if we think about this from 
the like with an example to kind of bring this alive that sometimes somebody might really enjoy quite a firm blowjob with somebody's like their their hand on the shaft of their dick and you yeah. know, they're sucking quite hard or maybe their teeth are involved they might really enjoy that one day yeah. but another day they might really not enjoy that at it's all the they might not, one. yeah, yeah exactly. they might not have an erection or it might just mm. be they need something really sensitive so maybe gently being licked or just blown on or something mm. the next day or maybe even an hour later or you yeah. know so our bodies are constantly changing as well. Our, yeah. our individual bodies right. are constantly changing in how we like to be touched. So that's why consent and being present is the key yeah. to sex advice. Yeah, exactly. That even like when, if you're having sex with the same person every single time, whether that's yourself or another person, yeah. it's still like this is a new body. This time exactly. it, may like, it may want a very different thing. So that's the, the key bit of advice that we give is to try to treat every time you have sex like the first yeah. time. Which is, really, which is really hot yeah. as well, I think. Yeah. That's, I mean, that's a great uh, idea to, to... That's a great idea to be putting in people's head, like, enjoy mm. it like the... Oh, the, well, enjoy it like a good first time, right? Yeah. <laughs> like, like a, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like, Not like the first time where you assume, oh, this person must want to do the sexual script that we've learned. But right. more like the first time where you're like, whoa, this is a completely new body. What's right. it going to be like? Yeah. What do I want to do with it? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right, 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 right. How did you come to sort of be interested in sex? Which is a weird question to <laughs> ask two humans. Um, but yeah. Years and years of mediocre sex. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I really got into it because a job came up. That's uh, really why I got into it. So I became a youth worker after stupidly doing a law degree. And then um, I was work, doing a lot of work. As part of my youth work training, I was doing some work around masculinities. In, this is in Derby in the late 90s. And um, a job came up at the beginning of the teenage pregnancy strategy around doing sex and relationships education with young men. I was like, yeah, well, it's good-looking contract it's a few hours you know it's money mm-hmm. i'd better learn about sex and relationships <laughs> <laughs> oh, it was much more narcissistic for me <laughs> it was definitely like more personal interest driven mm. um so i did psychology degree because i wanted to find out how humans ticked including myself i didn't really learn that from psychology but for mm. some reason i stayed and did a phd as well because i didn't know what else to do <laughs> and then i ended up teaching psychology but at this point i still had no passion really for what i was doing and then i was joining like the bi community and the poly community at that point and I'm like suddenly oh my goodness there are these really fascinating communities that are enabling people to do love sex and gender in really different ways like no one at the time was really studying them or very few people and I'd kind of gone off the whole idea of research but that got me back in to like actually I want to I want to study this from the inside kind right. of from the inside out because I feel like uh, there's something here that everyone could be learning from you know everyone can learn from kinksters how to negotiate consent and mm. the wide range of things that can be sexual you know everyone can learn from by folks to, to think about the way gender and sexuality are linked or not linked everyone can learn from poly folks how to manage relationships differently even if you're monogamous it's still like you know the communication the figuring out what it means to you stuff so that was that was really my way in and it's not mm. it's not stopped since you know my passion is for finding out you know all the different ways we can do love sex and gender and mm. then articulating that to everybody so right. that's you know everyone can gain from those knowledges really right it's the thinking about them isn't it it's the, it's the thing is like you know obviously people have always done most of these things oh, throughout yeah. history mm-hmm. um but like you know so 
my dad had an open relationship back before it was cool. Like it, he was, uh, <laughs> like he, he he got the idea uh, just before he went off to the Second World War oh, um, wow. from one of his teachers, who yeah. was you know obviously wartime open relationships a bit of a different. Uh, re, you know, I, I suspect more people enter into open relationships for a period of, of yeah. war uh, mm. than, than, than keep to, it afterwards. But to actually negotiate right. that rather than it just happening but, and then but, having to deal with the fallout. Mm, yeah, yeah, but but the fact that he was in an open relationship doesn't mean he was doing any of the things that you were talking about in terms of like yeah. actually communicating right. like he was still a person uh, you know who was born in the 1920s mm-hmm. so when he was going into mm. his open relationship like when me and my partner decided to open up our relationship mm. we like interviewed him loads to find out like what did he do wrong Whoa. like what how did it work like yeah. is it a good idea for us to do the same thing which we think is quite disastrous for his life is, will it be disastrous for our life and we're like mm. no no because actually they didn't talk to each other as, yeah. as, as because they because gender was so ridiculous then yes <laughs> you know and and yeah and, and also you know negotiation or like communication like they both found it hot yeah. but that's not enough no right? and so that was really useful to look back at history and like see what wh- where people made mistakes but I feel like what you were sort of speaking to is how like now and you you, you are both doing this mm-hmm. like it's teasing out things that have always existed and thinking about yeah. how to do them in a way that doesn't kind of damage us I guess or, can, yeah. or as much as li- the least amount of damage as possible because it's pretty impossible to not be damaged a no, little bit exactly by life. <laughs> well and also again once you're stepping out the crab bucket that's really right. that's gonna there's gonna be some pain involved for people you know when you do that so that's kind of part of the deal which is why it's really important to be able to look at that openly in yourself and not think you're just like some good guy who's never going to hurt anybody else because right. like you know we're all going to hurt other people right um, and I guess the crab buckets is where a lot of mm. the shoulds come from as well isn't it that yeah. it's about the the I guess one of the phrases that is part of our motto is to explore the sex and relationships you actually want to have rather than those that you feel you should have yeah and so it's really difficult to tease apart the the that the, the script from what it is that you actually want and what works for you and one of those is like how much you talk about it so mm. just even to have to be able to um to recognize that people want to talk about these things in different ways and to have like a meta communication conversation about how it is that we even might negotiate an open relationship or what open means or where we are on right, a spectrum right, right, right. Mm-hmm. open between like strict monogamy and relationship anarchy or something right. and yeah. how we might talk about sounds like your dad like had a may have had like a don't ask don't tell policy or well it seems like what the what their problem really was is that he would fall in love with everybody and she was just like happy for it to be kind of just purely sexual right yeah. and so she had lots more partners than him yeah and so he was jealous of the quantity yeah but she was jealous of the the quality the the the, the relationship element yeah. to yeah. what he was doing and they hadn't clarified any of this before they went into it they just kind of got bitter with each other's different successes yeah. which yeah. is like yeah. if you I like, see a lot of today still is a complicated word again to but again it's this idea that everyone understands the word open relationship or yeah. polyamory to mean right. the same thing so two people will say oh okay let's change our relationship to be polyamorous one of them thinks that means having lots of sex but you know still that's your primary emotional mm. partner and, and the other person thinks it's all about having two or three really emotionally close people Right. boom you know you've got a real contradiction right. and often people can feel really angry at the other person because they feel like they broke the rules right. but it was the fact that they had different understanding in the first place um, and I think even 
you know, even going into like the different the polyamorous crab bucket or the kink crab bucket doesn't often it takes takes with it this whole idea of like you shouldn't really have to talk about it, and that right, again yeah. becomes you know it's it's, it's 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 still difficult to really get people communicating about this stuff openly because people still somewhere deep down have a worry that they're going to get exposed as you know flawed or bad human beings and so they don't really want to say right. openly what they actually want or they'll say you know. i think as like dan savage talks about this there's a lot at stake yeah right like if you've been in a relationship for a long time and you're deciding that you feel like you need to make a big change then mm. it's a big thing to say can we have a talk about the dynamics of our relationship and i yeah you know, i would like this and i'd like this and you know, one of the ways to look at this is to be aware that relationships are constantly changing, and we're all changing all the time in terms of what it is we may or may not want. And so, yeah, and to accept that change is inevitable and change is um, is normal and it happens. Mm-hmm. Um, but also, this idea that if you're having to talk about or work at your relationship, then it's not meant to be. Yeah, is the, is the other thing, right? That, right. You know, relationships right, right, are meant right. to just kind of happen, <laughs> and if it's the right person, it's the you know the, the idea of Mister Right and the One and yeah. uh, Fairy Princess and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> kind of by it, it, certainly in terms of romantic relationships, is a big problem there because it's the idea that the happily ever after and the One means that the idea of those things means that you don't have to actually embrace change or do any work or talk about it and yeah. if you do it means that it's not the right person I think that's right and I think again it's really hard to step out of that part of the crab bucket you know even when you've really unpacked all of this stuff there still can be that sense of like oh but if the t- if there's attention comes up we should kind of avoid mentioning it mm. you know because it will only cause conflict it might jeopardize the relationship it might mean I'm a bad person or they're a bad person you know it's I think that's that real deep stuff is yeah very hard to really shift mm. um, and still it's still a job of work however far you've you've right walked mm. away from the crab bucket right 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 yeah yeah like the crab bucket kind of almost becomes part of your mind and it's really hard to like, yeah 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 to take that get that get rid of that it's at all. internalized and we like can't forever. you know that my friend uh, Ros Gill always says you can't step outside of culture mm, right. so we're not we mustn't give ourselves a hard time about that because right. you know you can't you can't imagine something beyond what's available to you mm, completely right. you know you can do your best to unpack this stuff and and live it differently but you're still operating within a culture that yeah. kind of reinforces it every single day all of the time that makes know? sense yeah and so like i guess this is kind of this this question i had i, I i've been so i've been obsessed with something for a couple of days and i thought oh maybe i should talk to you yeah about okay. that um but you might not you, you, I think you know. Feel free to say you don't want to talk about this sure. topic. Uh, I think it's a very emotive sub- topic for many people, and I think you both will uh, will will possibly have some emotions about it. So, um, mm. there's been a letter that's come out, uh, like as a, an article, really, an article about Joss Whedon. Yes. Right. Yes, I've read it. Uh, yeah. Are you familiar with that yet? Like, no, I'm not even sure I know Joss Whedon is. Uh, right. So wow. Okay. Some, brilliant. Some, there's a difference between us <laughs> and the level of geekery. So I right. have watched, I think, pretty much everything that Mr. Whedon has ever right. created. Right. Is, he, you is he a professional cyclist? <laughs> Justin's well, mostly interested in professional cycling, whereas I'm more interested in vampires. So right. you know, you can see the problem here. Okay. Yeah. Well, that's fine. That's fine, <laughs> and, and that's good. It's good to have a a, 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 a neutral party in this as well mm-hmm. um, but yeah Joss Whedon is the director uh, the writer and 
director of some of uh, Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Uh, <laughs> right, okay. Event, That's why I don't you know. know yeah. <laughs> more recently, the Avengers, and uh, like I think he's just taken over uh, the Justice League film. I've seen Avengers too. Assemble. Hey. There, there you go. So you've seen some of, of Mr. Whedon's work. Mm-hmm. Um, and something that's kind of suddenly kind of upsetting many, many geeks across uh, the world um, is that he, his wife has kind of come out and said 20 years of this relationship, which you kind of pr- presented to the world as part of why you were a great feminist man, because mm-hmm. that's part of the, the narrative around him. Is he's, It's like he is the king of feminists. I mean, yeah. he's he's... He, he's damaged his own reputation on that enough yes. in the past anyway. Okay. I don't but even know why people call think, him a feminist still. But, but if you think back to Buffy, there was this big thing about this is a this is a TV a hugely popular TV show that's putting a woman as the main character right. and she's kick-ass. Yeah. And she, it's really questioning, deliberately, constantly questioning the kind of normative gender stuff that happens yeah. across TV. Yeah. Um, and so at the time, that was a pretty radical thing right. to be doing. And it was. I mean, and I, yeah. you know, I've, I, I, I think that, that you can see his work as feminist without seeing him as feminist yeah also but it's more like he declined in this it's like it started indeed. pretty good and yeah. then it just got worse and worse and, and so and yeah. so what he's been what he's yeah. what he's been alleged about him which uh is that he uh had lots of affairs starting from when he was like working on Buffy yeah um and he's had lots of affairs and didn't tell her about them and then did tell her about them but kind of in the way that he told her kind of suggested it was kind of like I couldn't help it like patriarchy was too much for me yeah um, which I actually have some sympathy to that argument mm. but at the same time I can see why people really bridle I mean, at that it's argument it's a tricky too. one because we haven't heard his, yeah, he hasn't said anything but yeah she's basically saying that he gaslit her for years right. as well right. it's a really so big that's part, part of the problem of it. it's not only yeah. he was having the affairs which maybe maybe not would have been okay but mm. the fact that he was claiming he wasn't so mm. she's and she knew something's going on and she's constantly being being gaslit and having him right. pretending like nothing's happening okay. when she can obviously not tell there is and she's you know saying that that's left her with complex PTSD mm. you know of, of just years and years and years but of it's a, not only gosh. just individual gaslighting but also this culture of, of everyone saying your husband's brilliant of isn't course. he so feminist <laughs> right. and, and you're thinking this doesn't fit right this is not the person I know but only somehow. some of that yeah. is his responsibility in a way when it becomes mm cultural forces around yeah. her and like the group versus the individual and it's definitely like one of the things is like you say we haven't heard mm. his side of it but also it's a 20 year yeah. relationship so there's going to be many many complicated factors I feel mm. in a 20 yeah. year relationship that are not all going to be to do with this one understandable narrative that she really wants to cling to now because yeah. she's not been able to talk about it until now so that's well, exactly. I, like, I, just, really hard. I believe yeah. her I support her yeah. in what she says mm. that said I don't necessarily get behind like full scale uh, rejection completely of Joss Whedon and everything he's ever done yeah. uh, or even him as an individual because one of the things I wonder about is so if he'd been gay and we would dis- and, and we discovered that uh, for years he'd been having affairs with men mm. but because of the fact that he felt within a patriarchal society he had to be a heterosexual man mm. we would have loads of sympathy for him yeah. even as we were mm. like maybe question his choices um, whereas because he's mm. a heterosexual we don't have that kind of a feeling around him mm. like because he ha- is aspiring to yeah he's aspiring like, like what, when he talks about it he's like you know like 
I could be every like I could be the coolest person to everybody and have no repercussions for it and like yeah. that's, so I, yeah. I accept that's a different situation than if you're gay and you're mm-hmm. having affairs it's not the same thing but it is kind of like he's aspiring to an idea of patriarchy and there is less sympathy for him within the yeah. discussion of it than we would have for other individuals within that kind of circumstance I mean I uh, this is about power and right. consent and ethics isn't yeah. it? it is indeed. so um, it turns out he wanted other kinds of sexual or romantic relationships outside of their relationship right mm-hmm. um, that's something if that's something that so at the moment he's cheated yeah uh, so uh, if he wanted to do that in an ethical way he could have opened up the idea of talking about non-monogamy yeah. whilst also still acknowledging that he is Joss Whedon mm-hmm uh, for listeners who also don't know who Joss Whedon is if, and if you like cycling it sounds like he's the reverse <laughs> he's got the reverse history of Peter Sagan just right. so you know right. um, <laughs> Sagan started off not being feminist and now he's becoming extraordinarily woke oh, great okay. guy right, fucking, yeah, yeah. he is the fucking boy right. well Whedon is not the fucking boy well, he's, he's like definitely become less and less the boy right. but he was the fucking boy once upon a time and he made a very big impact on certain young geeks uh, right, in, that's, in and, this and, room and, so, <laughs> and it's complicated in that respect because yeah. I feel like I understand why people people feel betrayed by him mm. because he's like made these feminist mm. works and yet he's, he's not in his personal life necessarily lived up to these ideals but also one of the things I also think is complicated around all of this is mm. that for me as a man who I, I do define myself as a feminist but I don't go around like mm. proclaiming it across my face or anything like I I, I I see feminism as a process rather than an identity in lots of ways yeah but at the same time as much as there is some I don't understand why people even call themselves male feminists and mostly they are called them rather than defined that way mm. but there are there is a, a a truth with the the idea of that male feminists are often kind of kind of Utilizing feminism in whatever way, like there's a there's an MRA theory that you know they're doing it just to get laid, but that's also something mm-hmm. that radical feminists have said to me. Yeah, yeah, like yeah. It's not. It's not. A, that's like you know. And it but, can be, and it can also sometimes when when men proclaim their feminism, it makes it very hard to talk to them about gender dynamics because you're like you know you're going to really upset them because they think of themselves as such a feminist right. to point out actually you're doing that bloke thing. So that's mm-hmm. all so true. It can be actually a protective thing. But then yeah. at the same time, yeah. the, one of the main things that this culture event that it's actually two people's personal lives it's yeah. very strange that these things are, it is a cultural event yeah. but one of the things happening around that is people are going well that goes to show men can't be feminists uh, like, that men can't even use that label or like have anywhere it's interesting that it's been responded to in such a binary way yeah. by so many groups yeah. like, I find this. I think we've got to be cautious of that I think something that could really illuminate the situation for me would be one of the episodes of Buffy the Vampire Slayer which should be the superstar episode so in this episode, my favourite character, Jonathan Levinson, um, oh, gets wow. superpowers. I don't come across many people that Jonathan's their favourite character, but I understand it. And I relate it. very, <laughs> very strongly to Jonathan. Let's just say that. Fair. Very even, strongly. Even I know about this. Right. I've never even watched an episode of Buffy. <laughs> so if I'm grateful to Joss Whedon for anything, it's that. But I think, you know, maybe we can see a bit of Joss in the Jonathan character here. You know, this character, suddenly everybody loves him because he's done this spell. And so he's gone from being a minor character like the major character and even like the music at the beginning has him in it all the way through like it's as if he's suddenly put himself front and centre but in order to do this he's also created this monster 
So that's how the spell works. All of his bad shit has gone into this monster mm. and all of this, you know, all this good stuff that was in Jonathan has come to the fore. So suddenly everyone thinks he's amazing. Right. And, you know, it feels like we often can do that. And it feels like maybe that's something that happened there with Joss is that, you know, almost this this power of everybody suddenly thinking he's amazing because, you know, presumably they didn't think that until we started yeah. doing this show and everything. Um, and he's, you know... And so he's got this real like, wow, I'm this good guy, you know, and and, and intoxicating the power and people are loving him. And then maybe he's having these affairs, you know, because he's so enticed by all of this vision of himself as this super awesomeness. Right. And it's almost like he's also created this monster that lurks in the background and you won't look at. And this is I think we all do this. We don't want to look at that. We don't want to look at the part of us that's still sexist, racist, right. you know, um, d- doesn't doesn't get stuff. We don't. We just don't want to look at the monster, and that, that's what we need to do um, in order to be much more open about these things. As Justin was saying, to have that open conversation and say, "Yeah, I actually want to do this thing," rather than just gaslighting. It's probably right. you know, in a way, probably gaslighting himself, yeah, as well as his wife. Well, that's you know, part of I'm how this, I feel about these guy. kind of things. Yeah. It's like every like when when someone's hurting somebody else in those kind of circumstances, they're often mm. hurting themselves, which is not. The to say yeah. like that it's not worse that they're hurting somebody else yeah. than themselves like that is a you know in, I'm not too down with hierarchies but that's maybe one that I would say yeah. like I'm, I'm down with like it's, it's it's better to hurt yourself than somebody else and yourself like yeah but we, we but, are <laughs> going to do it but I think what what the onus is on us and the responsibility is on us and with great power comes you know great responsibility <laughs> like to look at that stuff yeah. you know and so somebody like him who's got this power to make these amazing shows needs to listen to the critiques needs to think actually I did race really badly in Buffy I need to right. start getting better at that right. shit actually yeah that's know. something I find interesting now mm. about him like def- that's definitely a criticism I would yeah. I-, I would definitely be comfortable making like he he's currently very outraged by Trump and white nationalists and yeah. great we need white guys calling that stuff out yeah. but he definitely should look back at what he did that's in right. Buffy and we can do such a great you know we can do such <laughs> a great job when we look back and say yeah right. I got that wrong right you know it's like I got that we are going to do it you know all of the stuff I create I've got that sense of like you know in five years time I'm going to look back on this and think shit you know I just didn't get that aspect of intersectionality right there you know I want to listen to the people um, who are you know I want to get feedback from people from a, a diverse range of positions right. and try and inform that work and make it better knowing that it's never going to be good enough as well and I suppose that's what I think about looking at the monster you know we need to look at how we are perpetuating yet yeah, white supremacy and right. shitty capitalism and all of these and you know misogynist misogyny and all of these things yeah I mean right? it's, it's interesting that to, to see just as, as as somebody who doesn't look at the monster yeah considering he's like brought so many monsters to life I know but exactly. like it's very but I, I feel I like you know it's very appropriate. the minute I was you know reading the story I'm like it's like the superstar episode <laughs> that's what it is you know right that's probably because I'm obsessed with the superstar episode it may not be relevant at all but right. you know I think that it's always a time to talk about that episode of Buffy I think that's really fair <laughs> like I'm, I'm very I think that's like, like a, a very fair response and like I, I guess that's how I feel sometimes with social media or with the dis as my 18 year old niece kind of sarcastically despairingly calls it the discourse you know yeah, and, yeah. Like, like, and I get like I'm like I'm, when, when, that, when she said that like, I was like whoa hang on like you're 18 and you're already sick of this like yeah uh, like I, it's good that means maybe it's okay to be a bit sick of it because I sometimes feel like well we've got to be careful I mean it's this tendency to individualise right. it's like why is this story a story right. you know why are we going after this one individual person when you know it's it's the whole of Patreon 
patriarchy and white supremacy and a certain form of capitalism and you know all of these interwoven structures yeah. are the problem and of course if we get all het up about Joss Whedon and go on about him then we don't really need to look at our own monsters and the right. fact that we're all doing those things and that includes all of us that's not even just like white people and middle class people and men and you know it's like it's it's, it's in all of us we've right. internalised it and we do it so no, I think it's really enticing to kind of get this new bogeyman it's like it can be Joss Whedon this week yeah. and we can all shun him and say how angry we are with him for what he's done and that means we we can be nicely comforted and not have to look at our own shit which we all have right because I mean my primary emotion when I read that was sadness like I'm sad for these two people and yeah. more people than that because there's all of the people involved yeah. there's their children and all of that stuff yeah and all and the people who the, the affairs happen with it's indeed, like right. again hierarchy of relationship it's often that we really I'm, concerned mm. with the wife and not all of those people who probably had a pretty shit time well, too I, I think that's also a, a, a complication of it too because even like I, I, I'm glad she got to tell her side of, of the story but I'm also aware that while she's not named anybody, she suddenly brought mm-hmm. you know actors out into the potential kind of yeah. being attacked. You know, and, and already you know you're seeing everyone going like, oh, was it this person? Was it this person? Mm-hmm. And it becomes like, let's hunt down the person who he had yeah. the first affair with, and who's the person he had the exactly. And, like, and then what? we what? and we retain all of these bogeymen in our culture of like the other woman and the wronged woman and the you know it's right. like. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if then people get more angry with with the other woman if they are able to track down who that was. <laughs> you know, than they even are with Joss Whedon that's because that's so what we do. You know, is, yeah. and that you know, and and again, that would be internalized misogyny right there, like happening. So, I mean, I hope that he does look at his monster. I, th- yeah. I suspect the fact that he is um, a ma- like a Hollywood director, like of massive franchises, yeah. will make that a harder thing to get to. I think um, so. And if, again, so. the episode shows that just how enticing it is, and you can see. You know, Jonathan really grappling with that. It's like, am I going to kill this monster right. or am I going to stay being a superstar? Pretty hard decision. And like, when you've had 20 years of being that superstar, you're even right. less likely to want to look at right. the monster. But, you know, I'm available for therapy, Joss, if you want to come along for a, a session or two. <laughs> well, you heard it here first. Exclusive. No, I mean, that would be inappropriate. <laughs> I feel like I, I've, I've uh, excluded you though, Justin, like in this last moment, because I was like, I just assumed, I'm, there we go, I made an assumption that you would also be like familiar with uh, the Buffy uh, world. Uh, and well, my advice for Joss would be to learn from the career of Peter Sagan. Yeah. <laughs> because, because he had this, uh, so, uh, so, I mean, the sport of professional cycling is incredibly sexist. Yeah. Um, and yet it's one of my favourite pastimes to follow it and in the early part of his career he sexually touched uh, a podium girl Mm. uh, without her consent in public it was really awful and he quite rightly got slammed for that and a couple of other things he did as well but then when he won the world championships for the first time a couple of years ago he devoted his win to the refugees and he's Mm. like he's really he's like he's kind of on a journey and so he's realised that he's made mistakes and he's on a journey so I think no matter where you are, rather than kind of believing that you're a fixed person, that, you're, yeah. that certain labels always apply to you, it's, a, it's about acknowledging you're, that you're always fallible, you're always fucking up, we're always fucking up all yeah. the time, it's important just to keep 
going on that journey. And the problem with the public shunning is I think people, you know, when people are treated that way, they often get super defensive and then right. they even more bolster this idea, no, 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 I'm the good guy, you don't understand. And it makes it even less possible for them to look at their monster. So that's the danger when we all jump on the bandwagon of publicly shunning and shaming somebody is we right. actually make it worse. Yeah, right. Not, and not just them, but probably other people who've, who have done similar things. You know, it's like then they've got this choice. They can either believe themselves to be totally the monster or they can keep defending against that possibility and say, no, 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 I'm great. And what we want is to open up the possibility for people to both, you know, f- know that they're okay, fundamentally they're okay, and take a look at the monster and know the sort of potential they have for doing damage and right. try and try and keep waking up all the time, trying like like your your cyclist man, you know, yeah, <laughs> doing mean, that job. I mean, looking at your own like monster is a big part of that as well. Like that's mm. something I, I definitely think like it's all very well to jump over like every feminist man who fucks up like there, mm-hmm. th- there's many examples there, there, there are different forms of fucking up some are much more mm-hmm. forgivable than others yeah. but like there's no there's no idea like suggestion that you know there's plenty of feminist women who will also have monsters who will have messed up we'll all just have as them much. Exactly. exactly well look at, look at you know look at the race shit and feminism right. like god white feminists fuck up so badly right yeah. you know they're really really right. awful in terms of like the priorities they have in white feminism that focusing you know on um, you know back in the day of getting women out to work when of course black women were already working outside the home all the time often looking after white women's kids right. you know it's like the whole history of white feminism is of you know ignoring their monster and assuming that by very virtue of being women and being feminists it means they can't possibly they have can't. a monster yeah, the minute is... you're thinking you haven't got a monster you've you know you're really on a dangerous path and like that's why you know Laverne Cox is like fantastic like trans activist um, black woman you know and she's saying we need to all look at our inner oppressor because it doesn't matter how many of the kind of on the marginalised side you are you're still going to have your own monster yeah. you're still going to be potential you know you're still going to be capable of oppressing others see now norm- normally when I when I'm when I'm exposed to either of your your work I'm wishing that like I I could have read this stuff when I was uh, younger or a teenager but now I'm, I'm like oh wow I've got to travel back even further and get my mum to look like yeah. attention to some of this stuff yeah. God, oh, oh yeah oh yeah yeah mums are pretty good at not looking at their monsters sometimes for sure yeah. for sure uh, yeah. for, for more for more on that see my, my solo show I, I won't bore, bore, bore everybody here on that um, <laughs> but yeah it's, it's been a real pleasure to get better acquainted with both of you mm-hmm. um, and the last question that I ask everybody is do you have anything to plug yeah. yes <laughs> what's the book called just uh, enjoy sex how and if you want to a practical and inclusive guide I uh, can press like on books yeah, yeah. Uh, and um, like you can see details of that um, at our website megjohnandjustin.com um, you can follow us on twitter megjohnjustin yeah at megjohnjustin that's right and yes. facebook facebook.com forward slash megjohnjustin our podcast soundcloud.com forward slash megjohnjustin and you can get it on any app because I got it on my phone recently. yeah although apparently I need to put it on stitcher Today, uh, but yeah, yeah, you but have yes. to go through a separate thing for Stitcher, but it's, yeah. they'll they'll say yeah. We'll be yeah. we'll be there. We'll be on Stitcher <laughs> yeah. and all of these things. Um, yeah, and uh, I've also got a well, we've we've also got Justin's website, Bish UK, which yeah. is you know predominantly for young people, but has great stuff for all ages. I would say uh, my website is rewritingrules dot com um, or makejohnbarker.com dot com, and they both go to the same place. And there you can read about my other books. I've got one coming out soon on gender, how to understand your gender. 
Um, so many books. I've written quite a lot. the publications page. I went to the publications page the other day. I was like, oh, yeah. Christ! If I write, all these books. <laughs> if I write enough books, then the monster goes away. That's that's how I figure it. Right. That's how it happens. Yeah. Right. No. No. That's not how it happens. I know. It, I, know it, I, I know that's not how it happens. But I also I relate to that. I'm like, if I do enough, yeah. I do enough, then go away. But, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. You have to embrace the monster. I'm afraid it's always going to be right. there. The eels yeah. had it right. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, the, and the last thing I ask my guests to do is to say goodbye to the audience. How do we usually do that? We'll just go... Bye! Bye! Bye, audience. Bye, everyone. Meg, John and Justin are coming back to Smut Slam as judges for the next Smut Slam London, which is happening on Wednesday, September the 13th at the Dog Star in Brixton. Doors open at 7.30. Stories start at 8pm. Tickets are £10 on the door or in advance brown paper tickets and the theme aptly enough for that night is sex education and you can hear my solo show what about the men mansplaining masculinity as a podcast it's available on the stand-up tragedy podcast feed it's the last podcast that went out on that feed you can also read more about the show over on its website mansplainingmasculinity.co.uk and i also reflected on that show in bbc radio 4's forethought episode liberating men and you can find that via google as well as making getting better acquainted i also co-produce and i guess star in the magical realist audio drama podcast the family tree in order to keep making it and to make season two as good as we want it to be we need your help so if you can afford to then please do consider signing up to our patreon appeal you can follow getting better acquainted on twitter at gba podcast you can like getting better acquainted on facebook and you can find getting better acquainted on itunes soundcloud those kind of places but remember there are lots of ways to get better acquainted.